out. Welcome back, my friends, to the Flicks of the Week That Never End. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I am Joe Spiegel, and mm-hmm. once again, back is the incredible... Mike Sutherland. Wow. He brought that like Corbin Dallas. All right. Um, it's Corbin. I said that, Corbin Dallas. You said Corbin. Well, maybe I slurred because I have, you know, had a monster or something, but otherwise, Corbin. Yeah. All right. So anyway, my Flick of the Week is going to be the... <laughs> Charlie Sheen starring Vehicle, who is also a truther, by the way, a 9-11 truther, um, in a film called 9-11, which was only in theaters for a blink of an eye. Weird. If that. Yeah. Directed by a man named Martin Gui who I just pretty much, when the movie was over, I said Gui Gui. I'm going to review Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Ooh. All right. Okay. Garibusi. Yes. Fuck, what was it I was watching? Something I was watching that's... Um, the guy said, like, he had all these things for his, like, after-death bucket list or something. And um, one of them was to have Gary Busey read his eulogy. Shit, what was it? I just freaking saw it. And I, I was waiting for the end of the thing to happen where, you know, like, the guy was going to die and then Gary Busey was going to read his eulogy. But I, I don't think it happened. Anyway, it, I, someone look that up, please, and then let us know, you know, retro. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, all right. You ready to get into this? Yeah. All right, so take it away. Charlie. <laughs> Don't you mean Carlos? <laughs> Mr. Carlos Estevez, yes. Yeah. When he's keeping it real. All right, so um, pretty much. On the morning of September 11, 2001, a messenger sings happy birthday to you to his daughter. A billionaire argues with his wife in a divorce hearing. A maintenance man begins his day, and a young Russian decides she's breaking up with her sugar daddy. When the first plane hits the World Trade Center... These five elevator passengers find themselves trapped. Forced to band together, they fight against all odds to escape before the imminent and inevitable collapse occurs. Based on Patrick James Carson's award-winning play called Elevator, which premiered in October of 2011 at the Red, Bar the- Red Barn Theater in Tucson, Arizona. 9-11, I give it to you. Promise me. 
Okay. Hold on, hold on. Just I, I need to go ahead. Just mention one thing. Do your thing. So when when you have elevators in buildings like that, they don't go straight all the way up. They're stagnant. Yeah. So they go up to X floor, like say floor twenty five. Yeah. And then at floor twenty five, you have to get off and take another elevator to floor fifty. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. In, in this movie, they're 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 stuck at like around between thirty seven and thirty nine. So that means they would have to take two fucking elevators. I don't know, but th- when the elevator f- when the elevator falls in the movie, it only falls a few floors, but miraculously ends right at almost near the lobby, like pretty much right at the lobby, right before it hits. Imagine that. So, regardless of that, I already had I had no reservations that about this movie being good at all. I, I knew this movie was going to be a-, a a piece of shit, and it is a piece of shit. Besides the fact that it's it's shamelessly exploiting. The events of 9/11 just to make a movie, uh, even and I know it's based on a play, but you still don't need to make this movie, regardless. Okay, I want to read off the, the the cast to you real quick. Okay, the, the the cast that you see throughout the entire film. All right, Charlie Sheen, Whoopi Goldberg, Gina Gershon, Luis Guzman, Wood Harris, Olga Fonda, Jacqueline Bisset, and Bruce Davison. Now, out of all those names, I guarantee you that if you don't know the name. You know the face, okay? The whole fucking cast, except for Olga Fonda. I, 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 this is just a little fucking nitpicky thing. Are you saying Fonda? Yeah. Like her, Jane Fonda? Yeah, she's not even born Fonda, so she's not related to them. She changed her name to Fonda. Um, she plays a, a Russian, I don't know if they, they don't go into it, but I think she plays like either a call girl or just a girl who's spoiled by a sugar daddy. And they don't really delve into anyone's lives too much, except for Charlie Sheen's and his wife, you know, Gershon in the movie, Gina Gershon. Anyway, I just found it odd that you, they have all these familiar faces in this movie, and then the one person who's an important role, because she's stuck in the elevator with the other main characters, don't know her face. Just odd. To me. Okay. So anyway, uh, yeah, Charlie Sheen plays a, a billionaire named Jeffrey Cage, who mm. owns some of the floors on um, in the World Trade Center. He does not exist in real life. He's oh. a he's a fictional character. Oh, but it was it's based on a true story. Yeah, it's based. Well, it's also based on a play. So it's uh, yeah. I so take with yeah, <laughs> fictional characters in a real setting, kind of like Titanic. You know, Jack and Rose. So um, yeah. So anyway, he's um, Charlie Sheen is visiting his attorneys right before the events of 9-11 happen. And he's getting a divorce from Gina Gershon, his wife. And they have a child. And the child is being babysat by the grandmother, played by Jacqueline Bissett, you know, off, uh, you know, wherever the fuck they are. And, of course, you have the same marital bullshit stuff, you know, arguments and stuff while that's happening. And then they're leaving. They get in the elevator. And it, it does this thing where it introduces all the main characters that are going to be stuck in this elevator. So you've got Wood Harris. Wood Harris is the guy who played Avon Barksdale in The Wire. So, And if you saw his face, you automatically know who the fuck he is. Um, anyway, he plays a, a bike messenger who's got a daughter and a wife, and it's her birthday. And, you know, he's delivering packages to the World Trade Center. And then you have... Olga Fonda's character, who, like I said, she's just um, made up her mind to finally leave her sugar daddy because I guess she her life has no fulfillment and she's tired of mooching off of some guy that's boning her. And then uh, you have Whoopi Goldberg, who's not in the elevator. She's the elevator control or security, whatever you want to call it, 
and she's the one that stays down there to make sure everyone's safe. And then you have Luis Guzman, who's the janitor, who, uh, you know, he just goes up and down, you know, getting, fixing toilets on floors and shit like that. And, of course, you have his banter with his coworkers and blah, blah, blah. And uh, is that everybody? Yeah, that's everybody that's stuck in the elevator. Those are the five that are stuck in the elevator. And um, the dialogue is bad. Not all the time, but it's bad. Like, it's these all these actors are way better than that. And it, even Charlie Sheen is better as an actor than what, this, than what the dialogue is, is giving him. But at this point, you can tell by Charlie Sheen's acting in this movie, he doesn't give a shit about acting anymore. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't care at all. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And then when the, when the movie starts to get extremely emotional at the end for the characters, because, you know, like someone's going to die, if not all of them, there's this part where... And it, oh god, it's the cliche of someone's climbing out of the elevator, and all of a sudden it shows one of the wires slowly starting to snap, right, and, and things like that. And anyway, Charlie Sheen is the only one who's left in the elevator. God, fuck, I'm, I'm spoiling it because I don't give a shit. This movie doesn't need to be seen, for, at least for money. It does not need to be seen for money. There's a scene where Charlie Sheen's the last one left in the elevator, and it it snaps a little bit more where he can't get out now of the hole. So his wife is like trying to get him, and he can't get out. And he looks up and he yells, same camera angle, he yells, fuck. And he, the way he yells it is straight up like Khan hmm. from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's just, he goes, fuck, and it's so bad. <laughs> Me and my kids just started laughing our asses off. It was that bad. And, and then, yeah, it, the movie ends with a firefighter who stays behind to pull everybody out. And it, um, everyone has gotten out. Except for Charlie Sheen, and the it and the movie completely ends when the firefighter's holding Charlie Sheen's hand, about to pull him, trying to pull him up to safety, and then you hear the building starting to rumble above, like it's coming down, and then it ends with where it shows Charlie Sheen's hands collapsed, collapsed in between inside of the firefighter's hand, and clasped. Yeah, and then that, and then it goes to black, Ugh. and then it says in memory of, and, and, and God, it's just. It's a shitty movie. It's one of those movies that 10 years down the road, people are going to talk about and say, you know, it'll be on their list of movies that should have never been made, worst movies ever made. It's going to be there because I, I the fact that this has no Raspberry nominations, Golden Raspberry, is amazing because it was in theaters. It made like $120,000 or $200,000 or <laughs> That's something. it? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's just bad. Oh, and um, I would say... The major, I would say, what ninety percent of the movie is inside this elevator, and then the rest of it is either exterior shots, archive footage, or Whoopi Goldberg inside this control room. That's the whole movie. So you're not missing anything with nine eleven. I, I might as well have. I'm doing a service for everyone. I suffered through this. Actually, I laughed through this, so it's okay. I enjoyed myself for the most part. So just watching the trailer, <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, generally, like I, I enjoy listening to your reviews uh-huh. because I'm not doing anything else. But they're really informative. Uh-huh. Literally, this review bored me to death. Not because of you, <laughs> because because as soon as you yeah. started in and it says like if you go and and watch if you watch the trailer, yeah. this is based on the tragic real tragic events yep. and and based on a true story or whatever. And the very first thing you do is you meet Charlie Sheen, quote unquote, billionaire. You yeah. know, he owns a mansion and a yacht. Yeah. Yep. And he's not even a guy that existed in life. Yeah. That was on in nine eleven. Oh yeah. And you should see what 
people's opinions of him changing the movie when they find out he's billionaire Jeffrey Cage. Yeah. All of a sudden, they start calling him sir in the elevator right. and all this stuff. And he's like, money isn't everything. Money isn't everything. And, and then they have this sit down inside the elevator because there's nothing going on, right? And they're waiting. They don't know. They don't, at first, they don't know they're attacked, right? They just think that they're waiting for it to be sit, you know, rescued. Right. And they're all, of course, they have, as the tensions rise and they find out, because Whoopi tells them over the intercom that they, they have been attacked. And now all, all of a sudden, one of the buildings just went down, right? And I think the second tower goes down like, what, 18 minutes after the first one collapsed yeah, or something, something like that. that? So in that 18 minutes, they're all just sitting there struggling, trying to survive. And, you know, and they they have this breakfast club sit around where they each go to each one of their problems and talk about their life oh, problems. Great, Alcoholics and, Anonymous. Yeah, and then they, they, of course you have one of the ones that's judgmental, and then it just it's like, oh god, it's painful. It's painful to watch. It, it actually it, it's amazing to see a movie like this because I guarantee you, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that if you had a, a certain director in there that had done this, like a really well accomplished, acclaimed director and a good script. This could have been done in a way more professional um, range, and it could have actually been really good. But it, this is the where you can see the U.E. Bowl version, <laughs> pretty much, or something. You know, it, it is bad. It is, it is a shitty movie, and uh, yeah, it's on Redbox if you want to rent it. I only rented it for a dollar fifty, so I, I didn't suffer that bad. Yeah. Okay. Great. Nine Eleven. When a series of unexplained murders occurs in the normally quiet town of Tarker's Mill, the residents decide to hunt down the killer. However, many of these vigilantes end up dead, and those who don't are no closer to finding an assailant. But when a young wheelchair-using boy named Marty, not Marty McFly, encounters a werewolf one night, the pieces begin to come together. Along with his sister and Uncle Red, Gary Busey, Marty begins a mission to capture the werewolf once and for all. Oh, right. I gotta talk to you. You won't let go of it, will you? I saw what I saw. Psychotics are more active when the moon is full. And this guy's a psycho. When they catch him, you're gonna find out he's just as human as you and me. Got to get this idea out of your head. There are no such things as werewolves. The Bible tells us to fear the terror of the beast. I am scared to death. What are we gonna do? I think I know. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Heck, you're gonna shoot a 44 bullet at anyway. Ain't not a silver. How about a wormwood? The moon is full. You better watch it. I think he's going to come after me. Are you ready? See how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see, you meddling little. That sounded like an updated um, trailer. Yeah, it was totally updated because it's on DVD and VOD. Yeah. 
Um, this was on a couple of nights ago. It's based off of Stephen King's novella, Cycle of the Werewolf. It stars Corey Haim, Gary Busey, Everett McGill, Megan Follows, Terry O'Quinn, Lawrence Tierney, Bill Sm- Smitrovich. Smitrovich. Kent Broadhurst, David Hart, and James Gamm. And the film is directed by Dan Atlas, produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Um, let's just let's just get the deviations from the novella out of the way. So several several characters in the novella had their names changed for the film, which never makes any sense to me. No. Jane Coslow was named Kate in the novella. Bob Coslow was named Herman. Uncle Red was Uncle Al. Sheriff Haller was a constable in the novella named Lander Neary. Additionally, in the novella, there was a character named Alfie Knopfler um, who owned the only diner in the town. In the film, the Knopfler character was changed to the owner of the town's only bar as more action took place in the bar than in the diner. And the character was was deemed too important to cut or diminished. Um, his first name was changed to Owen, and the name of the bar was Owen's Bar. This was done in reference to Stephen King's son, Owen. Um, additionally, two characters were omitted from the film, The Drifter and Clyde Corliss. Again... It makes no sense. Some of the elements of the story that were changed were um, um, main amongst them is the fact that in the novella, the murder started in January and ended in December, (coughs) spanning almost a full year. In the film, the murders start in spring and end on Halloween, which is not that big of a deal. Additionally, the murders in the novel uh, each coincide with a specific holiday uh, that month. No such importance is given to the murders in the film. Arnie Westrom is killed in the spring of 76, presumably May... Jane's voiceover mentions that school is about to let out. Um, in the novella, he was killed on New Year's Day. Stella Randolph is killed by the werewolf in order to prevent her from committing suicide. In the novella, the character is a virginal seamstress who seems to be suffering from delusions. She sees the werewolf watching her outside her window on Valentine's Day and lets it in, imagining it's her secret love come to visit her. And God damn. So there's a lot of shit they changed. Yeah, in between Stella and Brady Kincaid's death and the novella, a drifter is killed in March while passing through Tarker's Mill. Wolf prints are found near his corpse. His death is completely omitted. In between Brady and Owen Knopfler, um, the vigilante's deaths, Clyde Corliss, a janitor at Reverend Lowe's church, is found disemboweled on the church's altar. His death is completely omitted. As stated above, Owen Knopfler is named Alfie Knopfler in the novella. He owns and runs the town diner and is killed after high school graduation in June. He sees a patron, later revealed to be uh, Reverend Lowe, transform into the werewolf in front of him before he's killed. Uh, In the film, a vigilante mob goes after the then-unknown killer in the woods. In the novella, there is a reference to a vigilante group heading out to the woods but Reverend Lowe drives to Portland, Maine in order to avoid them and, st- and instead runs into Milt Sturmfuller. Uh, while Sheriff Halt- Holler is... There's a lot of these things. <laughs> I know. Um, is killed confront- uh, So when Sheriff Holler is killed confronting Reverend Lowe in his garage, Constable Neary is killed in August while drinking in his parked truck. He has his face ripped off by the werewolf and is devoured shortly afterwards. Milt Sturmfuller in the film is killed while investigating strange noises in his shed. In the novella, it is revealed that Sturmfiller is a wife-beater, a point that is merely implied. He leaves for Portland, Maine in December to meet his mistress and is confronted by the werewolf who decapitates him. Unlike the film in the novella, Sturmfiller is not considered to be one of the murder victims by the town since he was killed in another vicinity. Elmer Zinnerman inadvertently saves Marty from Reverend Lowe in the film when Marty calls out to him while trapped in the covered bridge. In the novella, Zinnerman is a local farmer who hears a commotion on his farm one night and decides to investigate. 
He hears a blood-curdling wolf howl and covers and cowers in his house with his wife. The following morning, he finds that his pigs have been slaughtered with wolf tracks all around them. Uh, his brother-in-law tells him that it's obvious that a werewolf was responsible and that the residents of Tarker's Mill are in denial because he lives two counties over and they all know what it is. On Halloween, Red, Marty, and Jane confront the wolf. In the novella, Marty goes trick-or-treating on Halloween in search of the werewolf's identity and is shocked when he sees Reverend Lowe wearing an eye patch. It is explained that the Kazas are devout Catholics and that Lowe is a Baptist as a result. Marty never runs into Lowe until nearly four months later since they worship at different churches. Hey, Mike. Why don't you just read the whole novel to us? I'm going to. <laughs> in the film, Marty shoots out the wolf's eye with a firework in October when the town, fair, and fireworks are canceled. In the novella, the maiming occurs on Independence Day. Uh, in the film, which uh, that would have actually made more sense to put before the Halloween one, in the film, Reverend Lowe knows that it was Marty who injured him in his werewolf form. In the novella, Lowe does not remember what happens when he transforms. All he knows is that he wakes up the following morning with scratches and bruises on his body and with crusted blood on his lips and fingernails. As a result, when Marty injures him, he awakens the following morning with his eye blown out and no recollection. Uh, Marty sends Reverend Lowe anonymous letters indicating that he knows who and what he is and that he should commit suicide in order to stop killing people. In the film, despite the anonymous nature of the letters, Lowe knows that Marty is responsible. In the novella, Lowe decides to go into town and listen to gossip in order to find out who was attacked on July 4th. Marty signs the last letter with his name, letting Lowe know who's responsible for his maiming. <laughs> so those are the differences. Um, all in all, this is actually not a bad film. Um, it wasn't heavily promoted when it was released and did average at the box office, but has since on since gone on to become a cult classic. Did you read the novel? Yep. Of course how, I did. How was it? Because I, I haven't read that one. It's Stephen King, man. Well, I know. <laughs> how was it? It sucked, Joe. It, it was fucking awful. Look. I guarantee you that there's some Stephen King novels that you don't really care for that you've read. So, so this is one of his early ones, and it's it, it's um it's 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 King man. It's it's really good actually. Yeah. Now now I'm not gonna like get in the way too much, but I'm just I'm I'm bringing this up. If you notice the time when this came out, you can tell that they were trying to exploit two things: Stephen King, of course, and werewolf movies because of the Howling, American Werewolf in London. Stuff like that, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the plot is is that Jane Kozlaw, who's the narrator of the film, is the oldest sister in a dysfunctional family of four. Her narration starts in the spring of 76 and centers on her strained relationship with her younger paraplegic brother, Marty, who's played by Corey Haim. Marty! And their parents, Nan and Bob. Their rocky relationship changes after a series of murders in their small rural town of Tarker's Mill, Maine. Um this film is actually not bad. Um, when when you're watching, like the beginning of the movie, they're in this park, yeah, and and uh, Kozla has has to go find her her brother Marty, right? Yeah. So Jane has to go find her brother Marty, and she's in her Sunday best. It's like after church and whatever else, and they're they're outside and having. You know, I can't remember what exactly what kind of like gathering that they're having, but it's some sort of uh, <laughs> old-timey debate thingy, right? You know, where they, they meet in the center, in the in the, in the the uh, city's park where they have the, uh, that, not the, I can't remember the name of the, the not the awning, but those, um, those circular platforms with the little caps on top of them. Anyways, so there's a guy up there, you know, talking about what's going on in the town, and 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 as it's kind of winding down, 
she goes to find her brother who is with his friend. You talking about like gazebo? Yeah, gazebo. Thank okay. you. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. I was racking my brow. I was like, <laughs> and um, when I'll try fucking here. I'm, I'm, do, do, do. Come on, brain. By you saying this is a watchable movie, um, I uh, this is one of those. I don't know if I've ever watched this from start to finish. I think I have, but I always noticed to seem to catch it when it was on TV, and I would always get caught watching the part where he's on the bridge in his wheelchair and he's running from the car when yeah. McGill's chasing him, trying to run him down, and then the ending scene, the fight, the ending fight in the house. Yeah, those are always the two scenes I remember the most. So yeah. Um the interaction between Jane and Marty is really good. Um, Jane, uh, Marty's friend, you know, tosses, a, you know, scares her with a snake, and she falls in in some water, ruining her her dress. Yeah, you know, and then you know, afterwards, Marty's not really. I mean, he's he's upset about it, but he's not apologetic about it. You know, he thinks it's funny, but knows that he shouldn't fucking uh, laugh at that stuff, right? Did you see what the, it says in the reception for about Roger Ebert? An actual professional movie critic? Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Someone that... Uh, He's an actual professional movie critic. The, the, it's probably This is probably run by Paramount. So um, after after all that happens, then you know more murders start happening. But look, Marty... Marty. Marty! <laughs> Marty! Your kids are assholes, Marty. Corey Haim was actually really good in this movie. Um... Uh, all of them were really good, but there's this one guy um, that we don't really talk about. His name is Everett McGill. Yeah, good God <laughs> Crypt Keeper. He is an he is a magnetic actor. Yeah, he was in Quest for Fire, Heartbreak Ridge, License to Kill, People Under the Stairs, Under Siege Two. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> he he's kind of like the poor man's Michael Parks. He's really really good. Um, but he hasn't really done anything since 91, or 99, I should say. He, yeah, he's one of those actors that um, just does what he wants to do, doesn't give a shit about you know the, the popularity or anything. He just he sees a good script, he goes for it. Right, but he hasn't done anything since... Well, he did Twin Peaks in 2017, but he hasn't done anything really since 1999. Yeah, dude, Finch, uh, David Lynch can talk anybody to coming out of retirement. Yeah, that's a better picture of him. Um... Okay, did uh yeah, the last thing he did was Jag and then he did Twin Peaks the Missing Pieces and then he did the follow up Twin Peaks. But I who knows I don't know what he does in the meantime. Apparently he just wanted to act for a little bit and then do his own thing, which is fine, man. Maybe Fifteen makes, years. Yeah, maybe he makes residuals off of uh people under the stairs, I don't know. Or under just siege too. Yeah, lives off that shit. Yeah, yeah, because they have the they always have the dual pack for under siege, right? So. Well, he's been working s- since 1952. I mean, he was on he was on Guiding Light for a year, and <laughs> then um, and then okay, look, he was on Guiding Light in 1952 for a year, and then 22 years later, <laughs> he start he gets back in the TV. So you know he may have he may have been just a kid then, 75, 76. When was he born? 45. So 1945. So he's, he's in his 70s now. So uh, he was 30. 1952. He was born in 45? Yeah, so he's seven. So, so he's, he's seven, so 27, and then he gets back into it, right? Yeah, he plays someone's bastard child or something. So he he um, he um basically went to school, graduated school, probably went to college for a little bit. Maybe in the gets military. Gets back into, yeah, or military. Gets back into acting. Especially around that time period. And then, uh, I, oh, I doubt it. 
74, maybe. Who knows? And then... It was a Nam. Maybe it was a Nam. And then for 20, 25 years, he he acts and then fucking just quits. Yeah. Anyways. I'm on a break. Yeah. Fuck you. So I, he may be making you know, residuals off of fucking Twin Peaks and yeah, or maybe a bunch just, of other or stuff. Or he doesn't even give a shit. You know, I, that's what I've always gotten from. I think because I've watched him in interviews and stuff uh, a long time ago. And yeah, he just he didn't give a shit. It's like kind of like uh, Josh Hartnett, you know, doesn't care about the, the fame, just likes to act here and there. And that's it. Uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, it, there's nothing on his personal life. Yeah. Yeah. He graduated from Rosedale High School in Kansas City in 1963. There we go. God, now, now at old age, he looks like fucking Chuck Carners. Well, that's a bad picture. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> that's just him looking mean for the fucking... He looks almost like David Canary, <laughs> if you know who that is. He was on uh, Bonanza. He played Candy on Bonanza. And he was uh, Adam Chandler on All My Children for like 30 fucking plus years. Of course, I know you don't watch all... You never watch All My Children. I don't watch that shit. I watched that shit for about a decade. So... Anyways, McGill plays Reverend Lowe, and he's really, really good in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, he's he he's authentic, but yet he's he's one of those guys that when you watch when you watch this film, he seems to take this character of this priest in a uh, I don't want to say serious tone. It's an it's an emotional st- state. It's yeah. he's caring but not caring. You know. Yeah. He he understands that the flock needs to be called more like obligation than actual concern. No, he he understands that his flock that the flock needs to be called. He's compassionate but aloof. You know, he cares about people but does doesn't care about people. Is what I'm trying to say. And he does it more out of a sense of duty. No, he he just he has no connection. Maybe I, I maybe you're right. I don't you know. know. I mean, cause he, some people just do shit because they think they're supposed to, and not because they, they think it's right or wrong. No, he's doing it because, well, according to the novel, he's doing it because this is the right way to do it. So he's a werewolf because so he's going to use his werewolf powers to kill people yeah. that are not Christian or Baptist or Un- whatever unsavory to the he, to the faith. Yeah, um, and see in, in the in the movie when he begins to transform into werewolves before his eyes, and uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, the Reverend Lowe dreams that he's presiding over a mass funeral when his congregation, including the bodies in the cast, begin to transform into werewolves. He awakes screaming and asks God to let it in. So he doesn't want to be. Yeah. He he's but when he turns into this werewolf and and in the movie he remembers everything as a werewolf. But he doesn't want to be a werewolf. And then when but he also doesn't want to really die. Yeah. So, so when he decides to embrace it. Kind of. I don't really think he embraces it. I think he just does it because it's easier. <laughs> yeah, you know, he doesn't. He, he doesn't want to die, but he doesn't want to. Uh, he, he doesn't want to be this werewolf. So he's kind of in this limbo where he just. It's like working at Walmart. He just <laughs> yeah. accept it and move on, right? Yeah. And that's that's really what's going on. And then when Marty, of course, tells the story that you know we know who it is, nobody fucking believes him. Yeah. But his uncle does, right? So his uncle helps him to kind of kill this this werewolf. And in the meantime, his uncle, now Gary Busey plays the black sheep of the family. Nobody wants him around. Nobody <laughs> likes him until like he starts to, and, until Marty starts to like him, until Haynes' yeah. character starts to like him, and from there, he. He's begrudgingly accepted into the family, and then everyone starts to like him, and he's a nice guy. And he builds this fucking rocket-powered—it's not really rocket-powered, but this really fast 
uh, wheelchair. Three. It's a three. <laughs> it's a tricycle. Yeah. It's a trike. And everything about it is is really cool. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if in the book they did that. I I just think he's still in the wheelchair. Yeah. But in in the movie they do it because obviously it's cool. Yeah. It's exciting and it's, and it's brings, a real life Johnny Five. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, at one point, um, he's being chased by the Reverend, and the Reverend tries to kill him, and then, you know, and then Haim is able to escape, and that's how they find out the Reverend The Reverend is not who he really says he is, and Reverend? it starts to move on from there. Um, I give this movie two thumbs up. It's really good. Um, I, it's not it's not the best movie. Mm-hmm. It's made in 1985. The effects are really good. Um, with the werewolf stuff, they... Uh, They've kind of they they kind of um, kept it in the dark, yeah. So that you didn't really have to worry about you know. It, it's more of a um, keep it in the shadows so you don't have to worry about it type of thing. Um, it's not because of effects or anything else like that. It was actually uh, a, what Stephen King wanted. Yeah. Um, don't don't show the creature. Show what it's doing. Yeah. And you know, or Leave it the, after- to the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, show the aftermath. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really about it. All right. Um, cool. So a couple quick things before we end this one. Um, the uh, the scene when the elevator starts to collapse in 9-11 and they're weightless for a second, it is so goddamn hilarious because it, it does a close-up on their faces in slow motion, and it's supposed to be dramatic, like they're going through this 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 anguish, right? And it, it, instead it just plays out like laugh, laughable. It, it's so goddamn funny. Uh, and then lastly, I... Um, so everyone who listens to the show knows that I have a bad back, right? So because I got injured on on the job, and so uh, finally I uh, through the uh, the insurance I got approved to go get a an MRI done to see if there's any you know they can see any damage. So I go into the place to get the MRI done, and I lay on the table, and the guy starts sliding me into it, and the top of my sternum and my belly start hitting the top of the in the, the little part you go into with the MRI machine, <laughs> and. They kicked me off. They said they can't. We can't do it because we have to also put something on you. And yeah, I said so. I'm too fat for the uh, for the machine. I said, uh, yeah. And the guy goes, oh yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. We're just gonna have to find another place for you. And I said, I said, well, or where a place that has like where they can do MRIs on cattle. And he, he dude, the guy just went completely like stone face. Like he, you know, like because he can't like he doesn't want to offend anybody, right? Because he's on the job. And I go, dude, I'm just fucking with you. Relax, man. Relax. Anyway, the whole time when this was happening. All I could picture in my head was that scene from The Incredibles when uh, it was when Mr. Incredible first comes to the island and he's still fat and they're trying to put him through that that blow tube to, to <laughs> shoot him onto the island and his stomach keeps hitting the fucking top of the tube and he's like bouncing. <laughs> oh god damn it! You know what? I, I I love having a sense of humor about my my uh, my my fatness. So anyway, that's all I got. I thought that'd that be was funny. pretty funny. So anyway, uh. So for Flicks of the Week, me, you, you, and Marty. Yep. All right, bye. Bye.